Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Cemeteries and ghost towns are creepy enough. But what happens when you add the legend of a witch's curse on top of it all? I've been out there once. When it started to get dark, that was it. I mean, the whole atmosphere changed and I just wanted to leave. And I haven't been back. The history of Pierre Cheney in northern Michigan is fraught with tragedy, which draws visitors from the realm of the living and allegedly from the dead, too. This is the Spooky Jay. I'm Zach Clark. What better way to honor a Friday the 13th in the month of October than with a story about a witch's curse? As our Spooky Jay series continues, Annie Scaramazzino and I looked outside of Metro Detroit for our latest haunt. Like all of our stories, there is real tragedy and history that leads to the tales of the supernatural, right? Pierre Cheney, which is near Grayling Annie in Crawford County, at first, at its beginning, was a bustling up north city right off the railroad tracks. Yeah, it started the way that a lot of those northern Michigan towns started back then at the turn of the century. It was founded by George Cheney as a lumbering town. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, it could have succeeded just like any of the surrounding towns, but it did not. And because of all the tragedy and the bad luck that struck there, it kind of developed this reputation for having a curse. And this tragedy, Annie, was, I don't want to call it common, but I don't think it was uncommon either. Diphtheria broke out in Pierre Cheney, and basically it didn't spare anybody. And allegedly, and we don't know if this is true, but the legend says that the folks of Grayling basically sealed off the town and then burned it down. They were afraid of the disease spreading. At least that's what Gail Thomas told us. She's the president of the Crawford County Historical Museum. The legend is Grayling men blocked the roads. They blocked off all the supplies for them. The train didn't stop there no more. These people were in desperate need. And then the next legend is, is that Grayling men went down and they burned the village. And was that to try to control so, the disease so that that wouldn't spread any further? Yep. Everybody was paranoid. Yeah, it's really a and, sad story yeah. at its core. I mean, the oh, town is. was sort of primed to thrive at one point, and then it all just kind of fell apart in various ways. And you know, all the people that were lost, it really is a sad story. 
it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. And another legend is, is that there's a mass grave at the cemetery. Mm. And a lot of people think that that mass grave has got a lot to do with this haunting. They had so many bodies, they couldn't dig graves. Yeah, and a lot of things happened leading up to that point. It had all the makings of a town that could be bustling with the logging industry. But Grayling was close by, and Grayling kind of had a lot of other things going for it. It had a more robust population. It had the Osabo River. In a couple different ways, Pear Cheney ended up getting sort of passed up by Grayling. They lost their county seat. And then the headquarters for the Michigan Central Railroad was actually established in Grayling instead of Pear Cheney. So it sort of started to take a little bit of a downward turn at a certain point. But then, of course, disease ripped through the town, and then that just took things to the more extreme. It was just kind of like boom, 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 and and just a string of very, very bad luck, which sort of sets it up for people taking a look at it and going, well, what exactly happened here? Why did all these bad things happen here? And some people think they have the answer to that. We, too, took a look at what happened there, and we're always trying to find the real people behind these haunts, right? It's not just some random happenstance, but we talked about that fire And so in this story, you have a really hard time pinpointing exact people in these stories. Because of the loss of records of pretty much everything pertaining to Parashini, because there was a fire and everything was burned, but there is a legend, and that legend seems to stick with everything, that there was a young girl that became pregnant out of wedlock, and they banished her to the forest. You know, hopefully someday somebody brings in this information, they find it, you know? I mean, what would that be like if somebody walked in and said, hey, I've got this, I think it might put this together for you? Then we would have the proof that we need. So much information was lost at Parashini. There just isn't much for history, you know, as far as documentation. When Gail talks about that woman who allegedly had the baby out of wedlock and was cast out of town... The legend goes that when she was cast out of town, she did her own casting, but it was a spell on the entire village, and that is when the diphtheria came. So this woman, by legend, is blamed for the diphtheria outbreak. That was part of the thing that caught our attention with this, too, is that when you think witches and witchcraft and these kinds of trials, you think about, like, Salem or the east coast of the country. You don't really think Michigan. If she existed, the story is that she was a single mother, so of course she had to be a witch. The town casts her into the woods with her child. I found a couple different versions of this. One of them said that they banished her to the woods among the elements and and with everything that the child couldn't survive and she lost her child because they were banished and she in turn put a curse on the town for the rest of the children and then the diphtheria came through and the fire and everything like that and it became a ghost town. Another version of that, I found that there was actually a trial and they hung this woman. Regardless, I mean, it kind of follows like the Salem witch trials and that's become a huge thing and, you know, we're talking about this on Friday the 13th which is, you know, known for its bad luck and curses and it seems appropriate. But Whether or not this woman really existed, we don't know. And she could have. This could be a real story, but we won't know that because the files and any kind of records of that burned in the fire, like Gail told us. As much as we love to jump into these places, we were just at the Orson Star House. We went to the Whitney. We went to the Two-Way. We went to Eloise. 
like Mackinac Island last year, we just couldn't make it up north for this episode. And that's why we called Mike Sonnenberg. He's a travel author, and he wrote a book called Lost in Michigan. And that's how we found him, because in that book, it talks about Pierre Cheney. What I thought was really interesting about Mike is that he started this website, this travel website, years ago called Lost in Michigan. And then he parlayed that into a book. And basically, he visits places throughout the state, notable places, monuments, cities, and profiles them. And Pear Cheney is not there anymore. I mean, the cemetery is there, but the city is not. So he was essentially going to a place that doesn't even really exist anymore, just based on its reputation and story. And that made it notable enough. When I seen on the internet, it said that like nothing grew in the area, which really isn't totally true. And the other thing too is the cemetery is separate from the original town site because you know back in the day when they set up a cemetery, you know the cemetery is usually outside of town. So the cemetery is like on one side of the railroad tracks, and the town site is on the other side. And you can still see kind of the depressions and stuff from the buildings, you know, where the town used to stand. What was like the general vibe while you were there? I know you said you're not necessarily like a believer in ghosts, but I feel like if you're just tramping through a cemetery by yourself in general, sometimes it can be a little creepy. The one vibe is it is kind of surreal or creepy just because it's kind of separated out in the middle of nowhere. It's off like a sandy forest road. So it's, it's a really secluded cemetery. There's really nothing around being very isolated is one of the things that I think adds to its you know, its vibe or its creepiness. There are several through lines throughout all of these spooky stories we've done, like we've talked about the presence of water and limestone and how that tends to attract the supernatural. One of the things that we also find is relatively common, Annie, when it comes to tragedy, is the connection to children. We talked about this with Mackinac Island. We talked about it last week with Orson Starr. And certainly this is true with Pierre Cheney. I think it's pretty obvious to say that that's our least favorite part of hearing about these stories because it's devastating. Yeah, I've seen where they said that, you know, you get like handprints on the cars and they hear children crying or laughing. You can kind of hear children like in the woods and stuff, because I think there were a lot of children that had died. Even when you look at the tombstones, you'll see like almost like whole families that had died from the diphtheria outbreak that came through the region. So, like you said, I think that's kind of led to the stories of, you know, children being there. But like I said, when I was there, I never really heard anything. But I know, like, you know, especially if, you know, you're on a day that's cold fall day and the wind's blowing through the trees and stuff, I definitely could see where, you know, you'd start hearing some kind of odd things. In this case, with disease that came through the town not once but twice, many, many lives were lost. I mean, at the end of Pear Cheney's establishment as a village, there was under 20 people left there in 1917. That's when it was sold at public auction and became known as a ghost town. So, I mean, most lives were lost there, which is horrible. Um, And Mike was telling us, you know, when you go through the cemetery there, there's full families that are buried. and, And that's just devastating no matter which way you cut it. I think, Annie, one of the things that you and I have in common with Mike is that you and I, we're not non-believers, but this isn't something that we obsess about or think about a lot, the supernatural, but we leave ourselves open to the possibility, like at the Orson Star House last week, where we think we heard that name John, right? 
But one of the things Mike did tell us is that he understands in going there how people could get freaked out, just kind of the way you feel. But when we talked to Gail, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. She is a believer, and she was freaked out. I've seen Polaroid pictures with partial apparitions. One Polaroid picture I've seen of a group of individuals that were out there had gremlins that were standing around them. Freaked me right out. I'm serious. Have you ever had any experiences out there, Gail? I've been out there once, and that was enough for me. Um, During the afternoon, late afternoon, it was peaceful, and there, there was, you know, nothing freaky. It was just looking around, seeing the devastation was a bit oppressive. But when it started to get dark, that was it. I mean, the whole atmosphere changed, and I just wanted to leave, and I haven't been back. I think if I were there in the sort of middle of nowhere, as Mike described it, no matter what the weather was or what time of day it was, I think I would be pretty freaked out, too. It's a desolate area. There's nothing really going on there. It's probably very quiet, I would imagine, pin drop quiet. And there's this old sort of rundown graveyard there that's unfortunately through the years been vandalized. So a lot of the headstones are broken. It's not exactly the most welcoming environment. So I could certainly see how somebody would be freaked out by it. But I liked Mike's point to it, too, which is that he was there in the middle of a beautiful, sunny day. And Gail, when she was there, she was saying that towards the end of the trip there, it was starting to get a little dark. And she was going, "Okay, I think I've had enough. I got to go. And especially being there in dark. I mean, I can't imagine how that wouldn't give you the creeps a little bit. Believe or not. She was very firm in that most people only go once. I think what's interesting, too, is that with this situation, there's a rite of passage among the people who are from that area, from the Crawford County area. And and as most people know, I mean, everybody has that sort of creepy house in their hometown or maybe a legend or a story uh, that you tell each other when you're young to kind of like freak each other out. And maybe it's like a campfire story. And this one is just so prevalent. So, of course, all the locals are going to go there at some point as a rite of passage to check this place out. And yeah, according to Gail, there's some people that feel like after they've done it, that's enough. And they've checked the box and they're never going back. Mike talked about the history and what he learned, and this is why I love doing stories specifically like this one. Most people, if not everybody in our area, Annie, know about the Whitney. They know about Eloise. They've been around for a long time. Huge name recognition. But learning about places like Pierre Cheney gives us a new window into what it was like to be a Michigander almost 200 years ago. And one of the things that both Mike and Gail said, because of the renewed attention to this place in the last 10 or 15 years, they've made some minor improvements to the area around it. So today, oddly enough, Pierre Cheney is nicer than it has been in over 100 years. Well, it's Michigan history, and that's one of the one of the reasons why I really like doing this podcast is to learn about these things that I didn't know about before as a Michigander. I think it's really interesting. It really reminds me of even like my ancestors that came over to Michigan. A lot of them that came over like the early lumbering days and stuff. And I really think about, you know, how challenging I must have lived back in those days before modern, uh, you know, electricity and heat and Internet and cell phones. And especially when you're up north in the UP or, or even, you know, northern lower peninsula and the remote location and how challenging that must have been to live there. I've actually learned a lot on my travels around and researching and reading about the places that I visited. There's stuff that you don't learn 
while you're learning history in, in school. I was really surprised that, you know, in some places the treatment of the Native Americans in northern Michigan and stuff, the way that they were kind of forced off their property, you know, or their children were taken and put in more like boarding schools and stuff. And it's like things that you really don't learn in the history books. And I also think that with something that has historical context and historical importance, something like even the Orson Star House, which has been preserved over the years because of its importance in history, um, you know, the Pier Cheney Cemetery, the same could be said for that place. And to preserve it and to make sure that it's not vandalized and it's not destroyed, I think that's really important. And then in the process of these sort of spooky stories to then learn the important history of Michigan, I think that that's a bonus, an added bonus for this kind of a thing. So, next time you're driving up M72, are you taking a detour? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is it daytime or nighttime? I wouldn't ask you to go in the night. Well, because you visit that area I do. pretty frequently. So, mm-hmm. would you go? Uh, not at nighttime. <laughs> not at nighttime. I think part of it is too, like, assuming that this is real... Part of what's scary is the isolation. So if you know there's nobody around to hear you scream, that really makes me nervous. Yeah, I don't blame Gail for doing a one and done situation. <laughs> Today's big thanks go out to Gail Thomas, Mike Sonnenberg, and of course, Annie Scaramazzino. Check out www.jnewsradio.com for the top local news stories on demand 24-7. Do you want that daily J delivered right to you? Well, all you have to do is text WWJ to 20357 and you'll get it instantly. Message and data rates may apply. I'm Zach Clark. And this is the Spooky J. Thanks for listening. It's Halloween. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.